Amen and amen. Pray with me. Father, our hearts echo the words of that song. We acknowledge that you are our God and that you deserve praise. God, we also acknowledge this morning that we need you, and so we pray you would speak to us, Father, through your word. God, grant us ears that hear your voice. God, grant us hearts that long to please you in the way we respond. And God, we declare we will praise you with our living. And so, God, I thank you for the men and women under the sound of my voice. My prayer, God, is you would speak to them today, God, according to their need. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm always excited to be a good hope. It is my home church and the place that I come and sit annually, weekly over there to worship. But this morning, I get a chance to share God's word with you. And I decided today I want to do a treatment on Genesis to look at a particular scenario that I think so many times becomes difficult for the Christ follower to navigate. The Genesis account of Joseph's life offers a fascinating look at God using adversity. This morning, I want to focus on the reality that adversity will visit every address in this room. And so for a few moments, we're going to look at Joseph's life because in it, we get to see how Joseph faced trials and more importantly, where God was in the midst of his suffering. Genesis 37 displays his family's dysfunction and how it was Joseph's obedience that became the catalyst to his trials. I purposely picked on Joseph's family in Genesis 37 because I think if we're honest, most of us can look at our own families and find some dysfunction, whether it's close or far. Dysfunction in family is a normal phenomenon. The Bible doesn't hide from this. In fact, it points it out. But in Joseph's life, it was on a normal day, much like today. When his father Jacob sought an update on their family business, nothing special about the day, nothing special about the moment, just wanting to understand because they were in the ranching business, what was the status of his investment? So he sent Joseph, the favorite son, to check on his brothers. Now, for those of us who are familiar with Joseph and his family, we realize that his father treated Joseph favorably, and he was one of the younger two brothers, and the other brothers did not appreciate Joseph. So when his father sent him to check on the brothers and to check on the family business, he never dreamt that this would be the last time that he would see this son for in excess of a decade. What starts for Joseph as a simple errand became a life-changing event. For a few moments this morning, I want to talk to you from the thought, how to be trained by your trials. How to be trained by your trials. Outwardly, Joseph's circumstances went from bad to worse. His jealous brothers act on their resentment, selling him to traveling merchants who take him to a foreign land and resell him. Imagine for a moment, if you could, your own brothers selling you into bondage. That was Joseph's experience. In a few days, Joseph goes from being the pride of his father to the property of Potiphar, which for me is an unimaginable experience. I can't imagine being put into the custody or the ownership of somebody else and at the hands of my brothers. But that's Joseph's experience. And it is the first thing I want you to realize today. The first point in this message is that trials 
can position us to prosper. Trials can position us to prosper. Outwardly, Joseph's circumstances went from bad to worse. Now, I want you to see this in the text as I share this with you. Genesis 39 says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard bought him. Bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse 2 says this, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian masters. His jealous brothers act on their resentment. They sell him to somebody else who take him somewhere else and sell him again. In a short period of time, Joseph becomes property. Process this for a moment. Now, I understand in the context we live in today, particularly those of us of African-American descent, we understand a little bit about bondage. But the truth is, none of us understand what it is to be in bondage like that. I, I, I read about it. It's a historic event for me. I'm tripping when somebody talk to me bad, let alone talking about telling me what to do all the time. Yes, he mentioned I've been, in, this is year 33 in marriage. I don't know if my wife is in here, so I'm going to be careful. But I struggle at times when she's telling me to do something. So imagine for a moment if somebody has the right to tell you all the time what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Come on, y'all, you understand this had to be a real struggle for Joseph which is what makes verse 2 so profound to me. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. In the midst of his trials, the Bible confirms that God is present. This seems strange, at least to me. For God to be present, yet I'm still suffering. Something's wrong about that picture. I ain't, I ain't feeling that, God. I mean, you know, if God has to operate on the way I feel he should operate, then everything should be peachy cream. I should have got both Mega Ball and Power Ball last night. Now, I do know you have to play to get it, and I didn't play, but if it was up to me, God would be responding to how I feel. But the truth is, that's not the God of the Bible. Many think when God is present, life will be trial-free. But that's not what we see in Scripture. In fact, often in Scripture, we see that in the midst of God's presence, we experience trials. I'm telling you, verse 2 is profound if you really spend the time to look at it. Because it's emphatic, and three times in the 39th chapter, and we won't look at them all, but three times in this chapter, the Bible points out that the Lord was with Joseph, and each time it points it out, is following a new trial in his life. It's as if God is emphasizing that, listen, when you go through stuff, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's a powerful picture, y'all, that we have to wrestle through. But we also have to realize that sometimes, even though God is with us, he might not change our circumstances. The Bible made it clear that the Lord was with him, but he didn't change his circumstances. It tells us he blessed him with favor, gave him success, but left him in bondage. Man, that's a hard pill for me to swallow every time I read that. This is hard because so often we think God exists for our purposes. Instead of remembering, we exist for his. The songs we sang just shortly ago remind us that it is about his glory and our lives should be the vehicle by which it's brought. It's not about my glory. 
I get confused on that often, and I imagine I'm not the only one in the room. Because so oftentimes, I want it to be about me, and God is reminding me, it ain't about you. It's about me when I go to the table to eat. But the truth is, God is reminding us, we exist for his glory, for his purposes. That's why we see trials as problematic. I'm convinced so often it's because we get, we get it, as the young people say, we get it twisted. We forget who's here for whose purposes. But you have to capture what the scripture is saying in this passage. It said, Joseph prospered. Hold up. I'm in bondage. How are you going to say I'm prospering in bondage? Because you have to look at what God is doing in the big picture. In the big picture, it says, and the Lord prospered Joseph. When you look at that word for prosper, Saliak, it means to advance, to make progress. Now I'm tired. Oh, hold on, time out. How do you make progress in bondage? How do you? I haven't figured that out yet, y'all. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm asking a question that I'm still asking. The only way one can conclude that this is true is to understand that God is doing something bigger than what we see in this little glimpse of Joseph's life. But it is the word that scripture uses in the Hebrew that points it out. This word is used 65 times in the Old Testament and 44 of them can be used to exchange for the word success. Being put in the position that Joseph was put in was a part of God positioning him for success. But I promise you when Joseph was put in a position, he didn't understand that. God was about to do something through Joseph and he didn't consult Joseph on what he was about to do. Because God uses hardships at times for promotion. It was Joseph's hardship that positioned him to become the person in charge in Potiphar's house. Now, y'all know how it operates on the workforce. Here comes the new guy. Now, you know, we're going to treat it like it's the job. Here's the new guy on the job. And all of a sudden, he's getting all the promotions. You know everybody else in the house wasn't excited about Joseph? You know it was some folks tripping on Joseph. Who do you think he is? He ain't all that. But God was about to do something through Joseph, and he began to elevate him in the midst of his trial. It's important that we see that because we can forget that at times adversity is the tool that God will use to bring the best out in us. Listen, beloved, adversity can be beneficial. And all of us have to come to grips with that because sometimes adversity is the thing that reminds us of our frailty. Sometimes adversity manifests itself in a sense of a doctor's report. Some of us in this room, I'm pretty confident, have had a doctor say the C word to us and it took our breath away. And it became the very thing that reminded us of our, our, our mortality, of our frailty, and of our need of the God that we're talking about this morning. Listen, diamonds are byproducts of ordinary elements. But until they undergo heat, pressure, time, and adversity, they're nothing but stones. But undergoing all of those tense, tense experiences, they morph into something that is rare. The common becomes rare and it becomes precious because of the process. 
It's the process that changes the common into rare. I want to I present today the argument that God uses adversity in our life similarly to how diamonds are in the earth in the sense of changing us into something of value that he could use because at the end of the day, he has one agenda and one agenda alone, that you and I bring him glory. God is into bringing glory to himself through his creation, and that be you and me. And so he allows certain things in our life for that purpose. Sometimes those very things that God ordained, as we see in Joseph's life. Joseph found success in the midst of his pain, but I today want to propose that it's not easy to see that often. And so I don't find it strange when we go through something and we are struggling to see where God is. I listened to a young man last night who played basketball at the University of Houston at a fundraiser I was at talk about watching his NBA career, career drop in a real brief period. He was projected as a first-round draft pick, and he talked about how in practice before a senior season at U of H ever started, somebody fell on his leg a certain way, made his foot break, and they told him he would never play basketball again. Now, this young man had a faith. He walked with the Lord. He went through everything to rehab himself. He played in the different leagues, and he worked his way back up. Shortly after he got signed by the Sacramento Kings, in an unguaranteed contract. He had to just get to January for the contract to be guaranteed. Another teammate in practice fell on his leg and tore his knee up. He talked about how he struggled with God in that process. Where you at, God? I don't see you in this, God. How are you now letting my dream be pulled away from me? And he talked about his downward spiral, and then he said, you know, it took me back to the reality of the foundation of my faith. My mama raised me in church. I had been a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in college, and I had to get a hold to the reality that I exist for God. It was at that point he said that everything began to change for me because I realized I need to understand how does God want to use my suffering for his glory. The Bible is crystal clear on this. James says it this way. In James chapter 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That word for trials comes from a Greek word, parousios. It means to test or to tempt. It is interchangeably used in Scripture, to test or to tempt. And the distinction between the two really goes back to the source of it. God tests us. The devil tempts us. And we will see this a little later in this scripture. But it is the exact same word that we find here. One of the other meanings of it is putting something to the proof. And the second part of his definition means a trial of a person's fidelity, of their integrity of their virtue. It is to be put through something for the purpose of seeing what something is made of. So as I said earlier, you can see trials can position us to prosper, but trials can also reveal God's presence in our life. Verse 3 says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. 
and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, I'm going to pause there and tell you, I struggle reading that because I'm trying to figure out why the Egyptian is prospering if I'm the one living right. I'd imagine I ain't the only one in the room reading this. Now, Joseph is the one. The Lord is with Joseph. But the prospering person right now is the Egyptian. Because God's purpose is bigger than Joseph still understands. His purpose is bigger. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Sounds just like a brother, don't it? Verse 3 lets us know that in the midst of trials, Joseph's response speaks to God's presence. His living, his lifestyle, his response to his circumstance is testifying to this man that God is with this brother. You know, you meet people sometime and you see them blessing, you're like, man, God is blessing them. This man could see in how Joseph was living day in and day out that God's hand was upon his life. It was a testimony. I believe Joseph lived what Jesus would later teach in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I believe his life spoke to God. And I believe God wants our life to speak to God's presence. Beloved, I'm looking at this text today because I believe sometimes some of us come to church and forget that God has not only allowed, God may have orchestrated our hardship for the purpose of bringing him glory. For the purpose of bringing him glory. Some of you are familiar with Campus Crusade for Christ recently changed over to crew. It was started by a gentleman out in California named Bill Bright. Bill Bright was the person who led this country in a big, fast revival and a number of spiritual movements. Scores of college students came to know Jesus because of Campus Campus Crusade for Christ on college campuses all across America. But Bill Bright contracted cancer and began to die just like everybody else. And one of the statements that he made that always fascinated me, not saying this came out of his mouth early on, but at a point before he died, Bill Bright said, I believe that God allowed me to contract this disease that in my dying I might bring him glory. Now, the truth is every one of us are going to die. In fact, you've been dying since you've been born. It's just a matter of when, okay? So don't nobody miss that one. You're going to die. But, you know, it's a powerful thing when our death can bring him glory. When we recognize it, in our community, we have a man from our community that made a statement in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968 that understood that his death was imminent. And in a profound speech, he said, I've been to the mountaintop. And I've seen the other side. And I may not get there with you. See, he understood that God was about to do something. And, yes, death is going to visit us. But sometimes in dying, we can bring God more glory than in living. Marketplace ministry, I believe, is what people need to understand. I don't know what you do. Uh, uh, JP talked about what I get to do. I didn't start off getting to do this, nor did I want to do this. I didn't even come to Christ until I was an adult. 
The guys that took me to church, I wasn't trying to hear that Jesus stuff when I went to church with them. I was going for the girls. <laughs> now, hear this. God has a way of taking twisted motives and drawing you to himself. God brought me to himself through some young men. We were in our early 20s after college who kept trying to share Christ with me. When I came to grips with the reality of God's love for me, it changed my life forever. And I would argue that it changed the family that I have today and the families of the generation of the children that I had. Because God does this. But here's where I'm going with this. In Acts 17, there is a treatment that Paul is dealing with that I believe that everyone under the sound of my voice that claims to be a Christ follower has to reckon with. All of us are called to marketplace ministry. All of us. Pastor Cofield is a preacher and he's gifted at it. But you and I ain't called to stand up in a pulpit. I'm a, I'm a fill-in, y'all. I'm a pitch hitter today, okay? That's what I am. I know what I am. I'm pinch hitting. While pastor's out of town, that's all I am. You know what they are? Pitch hitters come, off the, come out the, 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 the dugout, they either strike out or they make a hit. And then they go sit down somewhere. That's what I am. That's the vast majority. But here's my point in going into this. God wants to use us in our own context. And sometimes he uses us in our own context by allowing us to suffer so people can see how we suffer. Because how we suffer will be more of a testimony to what we really believe about God than when we're prospering. It's easy to praise God when you're blessed. Listen, all you got to do is watch all the black music awards. We all, we all praise God when we get an award. I ain't hating on your artists, but you know what I'm talking about. Everybody got something to say about Jesus. Then I listen to their songs, and I'm like, mmm, mmm. Suffering has a way, y'all, of testifying to the power and the reality of God's presence in our life. And I believe it's part of the process to train us. Because what I believe that Paul understood and what Joseph modeled is that it's not only their privilege to know God, it is their responsibility to make him known. You get to see that, that it is not only their privilege to know him, but it is their responsibility to make him known. Sometimes we make him known most through our responses and the way we live. The Apostle Paul was one of the most extreme brothers who ever followed Christ, and we all know the reality of his start. He came against the church like nobody's business, but when Jesus confronted him on the Damascus Road, he became the most radical Christ follower out there. In the book of 2 Corinthians, he made this statement. He said, we try to live in such a way that no one will be hindered from finding the Lord by the way we act. And so no one can find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we try to show that we are true ministers or true servants of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Catch verse 5. We have been beaten been put in jail, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. That is the testimony of a man who is resolved his life exists to make Christ known. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, man, Lord, I'm not necessarily trying to get that testimony. But for what God does allow me to go through, I do want to respond the way Paul talked about. Listen, trials don't determine how closely you or I will walk with God. But the way we respond will. 
So trials can position us to prosper, and trials can reveal God's presence in our life. The third and final thing I want to share with you today is that trials can come in the form of temptation. The last section of verse 2 and verse 6 gives us some interesting details. Where Joseph lived and how he looked. Where Joseph lived and how he looked. Verse 2 says Joseph lived in the house of his master. Verse 6 says Joseph was well built and handsome. So, ladies, for a few moments, I'm going to get you to put whoever that guy is in your mind that you want to think of that fits that description. <laughs> Depend on the generation in the room. For some of you, it might be Billy D. For some others of you, it might be Denzel. And for the young ladies, it might be Miguel. I don't know who it is. But somebody fits that description for you when you see him. you like, my, my, my. The Bible says that Joseph fit that description. But it was the reality of that that then brings the next trial in his life, verse 7. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, and this is in the Bible, come to bed with me. I know y'all think this is scandal. This is the Bible. Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could, do, could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Verse 10, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Joseph's circumstances takes a turn again for the worse. This time, this new trial is in the form of temptation. I would love to know what some of the brothers in the room are thinking as they hear that this sister came after him day after day. She came after this brother. She wanted to get with Joseph. Listen, when I, when I read this, there are certain songs that come back to my mind. Pre-Jesus songs. So when I read this, I kind of I envision Patti LaBelle and Lady Marmalade. Because, you know, she went straight to this brother and said, hey, Joe, you want to give it a go? So I imagine, you know, that's, that's kind of what Joseph heard. I, I mean, it just kind of came... And for the younger folks in the room who might not understand that, it was kind of because she wasn't discreet, she kind of came at him like Beyonce in Dance for You. Now, I had not seen that video till I asked my kids for a younger picture of Lady Marmonade. And my daughter said, go look at this. And I went and looked at it. I said, yep, that's the picture. That's the picture. That's the picture. Now, none of you brothers go home and look that video up. You, trust me on this. Trust me. She made a sale in that video that was incredibly appealing. Where am I going with this? Temptation is real. And temptation is another form of trial. But temptation comes from a different source. God tests the heart. The devil tempts us. 
Temptation, when it comes from the evil one, is intended to trip us up. It's intended to destroy our homes. It's intended to wreck God's reputation. Listen, when you and I do certain things, it's not just our reputation that gets damaged. It is the reputation of the one we say we love and follow that get drugged through the mud when we do certain things. Now, don't misunderstand me. Even when we do certain things, the God we love is one who is quick to restore. But you and I need to remember that those things affect his reputation. And Joseph gives us a picture of what it's like. And listen, the Bible dealt with this. This isn't me making this up. I'm not reading this into the text. This is what he had to deal with. This brother was single. She was beautiful. He's a man. She's seductive. In my imagination, I believe, like some ladies in some other churches out there today, she was showing him all Victoria's Secrets. Because he lived in the house. There wasn't nothing discreet going on. She coming at him front and center. And he having to deal with his eyes every day. But the beauty of this text, it gives us a picture. Come on, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You have to come to grips with the reality that the world out there intends to take us down. And the devil against our soul, man, he, he and this thing for keeps. I have played all kind of games with myself to keep from doing stupid stuff because I'm still a man in my flesh. And so when I first became a believer, one of the ways that me and my boys began to walk in purity is we came up with a code. The code was King Herod. King Herod, what does King Herod mean to y'all? King Herod didn't mean nothing to most people. But if you remember who King Herod is, King Herod is the one who was trying to kill Jesus when he was born. We picked we pick King Herod as the way of telling our friend, don't leave me with this girl. You leave me with her, I'm, I'm going to be going to the altar. Now, y'all laugh at that, but I had to come to grips with the reality. I came into Christ as a young adult. I had to begin to learn what it looks like to live in a God-honoring, God-pleasing way. Well, listen, that continues even in marriage. Uh, 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 my wife, I don't know if you're in the room, but I'm going to tell you this. My wife is not into sharing some things. And I'd be one of those. And so I had to learn that it didn't really matter when you go somewhere and somebody you away from your wife. I traveled when I was in business. It didn't matter to her that I was away from her and I was in a hotel and somebody asked me, could they join me for dinner? I would sit there and, you know, I would want them to join me for dinner, but I didn't let them. But it wasn't because I didn't want them to. Understand the difference. And I want to distinguish the difference between temptation and yielding to temptation. Being tempted is not the problem. Being tempted is not the problem. The problem is yielding to temptation. When I yield, I run the risk of destroying my marriage, my family, my kids' legacy, and God's reputation. And if being tempted was the problem, then Jesus could not be sinless. Because the Bible in Hebrews 14 says he was tempted in every way, just as we are. Fellas, catch that, in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. So the problem isn't being tempted. The problem is yielding to it. And you and I have to realize that the enemy of our soul wants to destroy us with it. On the other hand, God may be using it to test us for promotion. 
Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. You notice this? The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, both of which are difficult, hot environments. Joseph is an example of what integrity looks like. Tempted to sin, yet faithful to God. Verse 10 said, no matter how often she pursued him, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with us. He gives us a picture of what it looks like to flee sexual immorality. Because I'm not going to read all the way down to verse 12, but in verse 11 and 12, she lay hands on her brother. She go beyond words. Ladies go home, fellas go home and continue to read. She go beyond words to talking about let's get busy. She was singing some of the best croon songs out there. You put it in your mind, whoever it is, whatever you want to remember, she was singing that. But Joseph saw through it because Joseph was resolved that he was going to honor God. He didn't talk about dishonoring his master if he got with her. He talked about dishonoring his God. That is the picture of what it looks like to deal with temptation. Now, we need to remember that temptation will come in many forms, but it's always appealing. If it's not appealing, it's not temptation. We all know some things that's unattractive. All right, I'm going to pick on Louisiana for a minute because I don't know how y'all eat them little uh, crawfish things. I don't know how y'all do it. But you understand, so let me pick on that. That, that is, ain't nothing tempting. I would be starving with crawfish. That just, I'm like, I can't do it, won't do it. Now, I'm only picking on that because, I, you know, people have different diets. I like chitlins, so people laugh at me for that. But here's the point, right? Some people say, oh, you eat chitlins. Now, I got off track, but here's my point. It has to be appealing for it to be tempting. If it's not appealing, it's not tempting. But the enemy of our soul knows how to make it appealing. And we have to understand ourselves enough to understand, man, that is attractive to me. I can't mess with that. Can't go there, won't do it, ain't going to do it. I'm out of here. Because it will come in different forms. And for everybody, it's not a result of the flesh. For some people, it's a matter of fame. Some people, fortune. We will do some things for fame and fortune that you are like, really? Temptation will come in many forms. For the Christ followers, two things are always critical to remember. That we have the resource and the responsibility to deal with temptation. How do we have the resource? The Bible says the greater one lives in us. It says greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. In other words, God's presence. Peter put it this way in the first chapter. He said his divine power. Whose divine power? We're talking about Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and by his goodness. Through these, he's given us the ability to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. See, I can't live in, des in denial about my desires. I had to come to grips with I have two natures. I don't know who this is for because I wasn't planning this. But when I became a Christ follower and the spirit of God came in me, it was the first time I was convicted about my raggedy living. However, I found like a dog going back to his vomit, I kept going back to it. And I had to come to grips with I had two natures. 
And I had to learn to deny one and feed the other. And until I understood that, I continued to flounder in some stuff and in some ways that was dishonoring to God and dishonoring to his church. We have to understand that we have the resource to live a life that keeps us from being bound to the way we used to live. When I came in Christ, God set me free. The, the challenge for me was having to learn how to live free. That's the resource. The responsibility is God absolutely expects that we're going to do it. Two books in the Bible are dedicated to this, the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians. They are both dedicated to the issue of helping us understand that we have the resources and the responsibility to live set-apart life. That comes from God. It is Joseph's obedience and temptation that got him in trouble. Remember, Joseph didn't sleep with Miss Potiphar? But where did Joseph end up? Joseph went to jail on trumped-up charges. Not like what we're seeing in some of the stuff out here today. Joseph went to jail for trumped-up charges. But as I wind this down, remember this. It was in jail that God used Joseph's presence. As the Bible said, and Lord was with Joseph again, and he prospered in jail, that it was in jail that God positioned him to become the second in charge of a nation. Every step along the way, were a part of God's plan to get Joseph in position to be the point of salvation for an entire region. God used Joseph's pain with purpose. And Joseph came to understand this at the end of his life when he told his brothers, when they talked about they were sorry for selling them in the first place, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. For a few moments, I just wanted to stop by and talk to you about how to be trained through your trials. Because I believe when we understand this, we have the ability to live lives that are a pleasing aroma unto God and speaks to everybody around us. Not perfect lives. We still make poor choices. We still make bad comments. We still do all kinds of things. But we live in a way that speaks to God's presence and for his glory. God bless you.